0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke.
1: Real love is calling listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The prophecy of Messiah is that God should never have the line of David end. Because Jesus can lay claim as Messiah to not only the legal line, but also the messianic line through Mary. And why is it that Luke traces it all the way back to Adam? Because he wants to emphasize that Jesus came to die for all humanity. Because in Adam we are all sinners. It's incredible
0: when you see the intricate ways God has moved through history to make Jesus' story fall right into place. There were many prophecies about the Savior of the world long before he was born. And today, Pastor Gary will share how some of them were fulfilled. Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem, fulfilled. Jesus needed to come from the lineage of King David, fulfilled in both Mary and Joseph. God is working details out in your life, too. Are you trusting him to put the pieces into place? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 3, with today's edition of
1: Cornerstone Connection. Back here in Luke 3, now verse 4. It says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. So Luke tells us that this passage in Isaiah was prophetic about John the Baptist, that John the Baptist is coming to prepare the way of the Lord, because John the Baptist is going to announce that he 's messiah, he 's going to be pointing people to Jesus, that Messiah has finally come, and Isaiah is using this language about when a king or royalty comes into town, what would typically happen is you would repair the roads. You would want to make every road that was crooked straight. You want to fill in every pothole because royalty is coming. And so make every crooked road straight, make every bumpy road smooth. And this is what John the Baptist is about. And in some sense, this is what our lives are about. When we come to Jesus, it is about getting our crooked lives right with him. And John the Baptist is going around proclaiming this message. We're all crooked, and we need to get right with God. Messiah is here. And Luke says, John the Baptist, the fulfillment of these words from the prophet Isaiah. Well, verse 7 says that John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You'll notice here that John the Baptist is not very politically correct, and he really doesn't care about offending people. He's going to give them the truth. He's a straight shooter, and this is the way he's going to speak to them. Matthew's Gospel says that among the people in the crowd, he sees the Pharisees. He sees some of the religious leaders who were hypocrites. So really, some of these words are directed to them who were hypocrites. So he calls them, you brood of vipers, you snakes. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, well, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So these are the first recorded words we have here of John the Baptist. People are coming to him. He's baptizing in the Jordan River, and he's preaching a message of repentance. And he tells them to repent and produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, when we turn from our lives of sin, there should be some evidence of a new life, how so, by the fruit of our lives. It should not be a mystery to people that you are a Christian. If it is a mystery to people, you are probably not producing fruit. You can tell an apple tree from the fruit that it produces. You can tell an orange tree from the fruit that it produces. People should be able to look at you and maybe not articulate it. Maybe they don't know know how to say, are you a Christian? But they should be able to look at your life and tell that you're different because your life should be producing some kind of fruit that makes it obvious that you belong to the Lord. And John the Baptist is reminding us of this. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Live a life that demonstrates that you belong to the Lord. Jesus, in John's Gospel, chapter 15, would say something similar. John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, it's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So, he, he speaks there about, you know, if, if your life is not changed, uh, then in the end of the day, you won't be producing fruit, and there's only going to be judgment. So, you know, people can say things with their lips, but it's really your life that will demonstrate that you are born again, and that you belong to the Lord. And so that's his challenge. John the Baptist here, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Uh, and he says there, he says, don't, don't say to yourselves well, we have Abraham as our father. Don't 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 just lean on your Jewish heritage and say that's good enough. And, you know, you and I will run into people from time to time. Maybe it used to be your story where, you know, someone would ask you you a Christian and you defer to whatever your heritage is. Well, I'm a Baptist. Well, I'm a Methodist. Well, I'm a Catholic. And John the Baptist is here saying, no, 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 that's not what counts. Your heritage is not what counts. It might be wonderful, but that's not what counts in terms of eternal life. What matters is not your heritage. What matters is your heart. It's your heart. He says, don't say, well, we have Abraham as our father. You know, we're good Jews here. We're good to go. John the Baptist says, no, no, no. Produce fruit or you'll be cut down and thrown into the fire. And that initiates then a response. Verse 10. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, the man who, with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Well, don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him. These are probably even Roman soldiers here who were who coming to repentance here. What should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So they're, they're asking, well, what would be, give us examples of a life that produces good fruit. And so he's, he's giving them examples. And so he says to the crowd, well, if you have a couple of tunics, you know, be kind and be generous and g- give a tunic to somebody who doesn't have one. And to the tax collectors, well, what should we do? The tax collectors were despised in the day, but the way that they would uh, make money is they would... Uh, charge you more taxes than they had to give to rome and they keep the difference and so jews who were tax collectors and there were three main tax collecting stations in israel Uh, one was in jericho that's where zacchaeus was chief tax collector one was in capernaum that's where matthew was chief tax collector and uh, one was along the via maris along caesarea uh, and and uh, those three stations were as you would travel you'd be paying taxes as you would travel And they were typically Jews who were employed by the Roman government. I'll collect taxes from you. I'll keep some for me. I'll give Rome what I'm supposed to give them. What should we do? The tax collectors asked. He says, don't collect any more than you're required to. Don't be gouging people. Don't be uh, treating them unfairly. Soldiers ask the same thing. Well, don't extort money. King James says, do violence to no man. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. He's just giving them examples of a life that is different. Verse 15, it says, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ, be be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. And so the other Gospels give us more detail about this scene where Herod was living really in adultery with his uh, wife that he really stole from his half-brother, just trying to keep it all in the family, and, um, and, and John the Baptist calls him out on it. He has no problem addressing political leaders of the day. Sometimes people you know, will say to me, shouldn't the church be you know, completely separate from politics? No, the church should speak into the political arena of our day. And we should be salt and light that influences all aspects of our culture, including and not limited to the political arena. John the Baptist had no problem addressing the political leader of his day. Herod, you're living in sin. Now, the, the issue is when you start to do that kind of a thing, you're either going to get revival or riot. And in John the Baptist's case, there was a riot and Herod threw him in prison and in the end, he's going to get his head cut off for saying those kind of things. So as long as you're prepared for whatever might come, still be bold about it, because John the Baptist is being that vocal mouthpiece of truth in his culture. And he's calling Herod in, in his sin that he's living in, and Herod just wants to shut him up, so he locks him up. In the end, John the Baptist is going to be beheaded by Herod uh, as, a, as a favor to Herod's wife's daughter, who... Dances at a dinner party, and Herod promises her something that he shouldn't, and so when she asks for John's head on a platter, uh, inspired by her mother, her mother requested it, really, then Herod acquiesces and cuts off John's head, so... Um, John the Baptist is going to be true to say what is true until the very end. Well, at the end of chapter three here, you'll notice with me the baptism and genealogy of Jesus, And it says this in verse 21, says when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Now, please note, Jesus was not baptized because he needed to repent. There was no sin. He's being baptized because he is identifying with sinful humanity. That's his mission. He has come to identify with sinful humanity, with the sinful race. There's no sin that he's committed. But he's doing this as a way to identify with sinful humanity that he's going to die for. So he comes to be baptized. And as he was praying, it says in the rest of the verse, heaven was opened... And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And we see here in this scene, the baptism of Jesus, we see the Trinity revealed because we have Jesus being baptized. We have the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, and we have the Father speaking from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you see all three in the scene here, one God but revealed in three persons. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about the Holy Spirit descending, lighting upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Otherwise, they wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have been able to see because the Holy Spirit is a spirit but in order to make the Spirit of God in some kind of visible way, he manifests like a dove that descends upon Jesus, lights upon him, and at the same time, they hear this voice. You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And, and so now we see here this lineage, this genealogical record of Jesus. And it says in verse 23, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, that's an important phrase, so it was thought of Joseph. Now. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher these names, but you wouldn't know it anyway, probably. So I'm gonna just read through them, so we can get to the end, and then I'll come back and we'll talk about this genealogical record, okay? Because I don't want to, you know, it's all God's word. I don't want to skip it. So even though I might have to apologize to these guys when I see them for butchering their names, but here we go. So Jesus was the son. So it was thought of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Ma- <laughs> the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Matthias, the son of Samin, the son of Josech, the son of Joda, the son of Joanan, the son of Resha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meliah, the son of Mena the son of Maritha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nash. Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch. The son of Jared, the son of Mahalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. A very interesting way that, 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 that Luke ends that genealogical record is the only unique place found in the Bible where Adam is referred to as the son of God in the sense that Adam was formed from the dust of the ground. And so God is his father who formed him and made him. Now we have here 40 generations here, 40 generations. What's interesting is... That uh, we see this genealogical record here from Adam, the Son of God, to Jesus, God the Son. Very interesting play on words here. There are two genealogical records for Jesus. One is here in Luke 3. There's another one in Matthew chapter 1. Many of you may have looked at those two records in the course of reading through your Bibles at different times and noticed that those two records are very different. What's the difference between Matthew's genealogical record in chapter 1? and Luke's record here in chapter 3. Well, in Matthew, Matthew begins with Abraham, and he works down uh, to Mary. And Matthew's genealogical record is really the record of Joseph's line. Now, follow me with this. In Matthew's record, if, if you'll just go, just go quickly back to Matthew, because I want, I want you to notice how it's different from Luke. In, in that um, Matthew uses the term Abraham was the father of. In Luke, Luke's talking about the son of. So Matthew's going in a different direction here, and, and there's a reason. In, in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 1, we have the genealogical record of Jesus, starting with Abraham. He doesn't go all the way back to Adam. He starts at Abraham, and then he goes down to uh, Joseph, the husband of Mary. And each time that Matthew lists the genealogical record, he talks about someone was the father of, someone was the father of. And what he is telling us here is that there, there was male biology involved in this genealogical record of Matthew chapter 1, and that it leads from Abraham to Joseph. This is a, a genealogical record of male biology here. Someone was the father of, and the father of, and the father of. But when you get to the very end of Matthew's list, in verse 16, it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, but then it jumps here, The husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. It doesn't continue in the same pattern. It doesn't say, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, and Joseph, the father of Jesus. Because there's a break at this point. In the male biology. Because Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. God is. Jesus was conceived because God's seed impregnated Mary. So why the record here? Because Joseph is the legal guardian of Jesus. And the genealogical record of Joseph listed here in Matthew chapter 1 gives us the legal line to the throne of David that Jesus is entitled to, through his adoptive father, Joseph. But do you notice how the language breaks there at the end of the record, where no longer is it the father, the father of, the father of. It comes down to Joseph. He goes, oh, and Joseph was married to Mary, and Mary gave birth to Jesus. Because Joseph was not biologically involved in the birth of Jesus or the conception of Jesus. That's how that's very different. Now, if you go to Luke's gospel, go back to Luke now, and, and you notice here that we have a different genealogical record, because the record in Luke is through the line of Mary. How do we know? Well, when it starts out here, talking about, first of all, that Jesus, again in verse 23, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. That's intentional language there, because it's a reference to the incarnation. Everybody thought that Jesus was the son of Joseph, but in reality he really wasn't. He was just, you know, Joseph was just the legal guardian. But he, but Joseph was not biologically involved in the conception of Jesus. So, Jesus was the son. So it was thought of Joseph. When it goes on from Joseph, it says that Joseph was the son of Heli. Well, wait a minute. In Matthew's gospel, if you if you happen to have noticed, it says that Joseph's father was a guy named Jacob. And now in Matthew's gospel, it's saying that it's that he's the son of a guy named Heli. So is it Jacob or is it Heli? Well, this is why it is believed here that this record in Luke 3 is actually the genealogical record through Mary's line, and the Jewish Talmud, which is an historical commentary on the Scriptures, tells us that Mary's father's name was Heli. You see, in the Jewish genealogical record, it was very unusual. In fact, it was never really included. Matthew is an exception. It was never included that women were listed in the genealogical record. It always went by the men. Matthew's an exception. Matthew mentions some women in the genealogical record of Jesus. But in Luke's gospel here, Luke is using the line of Mary, and he's referring to Joseph being the son, if you will. It's a broad term that can often be also translated son-in-law. Look, my father-in-law affectionately refers to me as his son. He'll he'll greet me. Hey, son, how you doing? It's that same kind of a thing that is happening here. Joseph is the son-in-law of Heli. This is Mary's genealogical record here, and it goes all the way from this point to Adam here. But what we're reading is, in Matthew's Gospel, the legal claim to the throne of David through Joseph, not the biological father of Jesus, and Mary, uh, line of David, that Jesus is also entitled to as the Messiah, descendant of David. But if you'll notice, Mary and Joseph descend from different sons of King David. When you compare the two records, in Matthew's Gospel, it tells us that Joseph descended from David's son, Solomon. In this record here, it tells us that Mary descended from David's son. Notice in verse 31, from David's son, Nathan. So they are both descendants of King David. Remember, the prophecy of Messiah is that God should never have the line of David end because Jesus can lay claim as Messiah to not only the legal line, but also the messianic line through Mary. And why is it that Luke traces it all the way back to Adam because he wants to emphasize that Jesus came to die for all humanity. Because in Adam, we are all sinners. And born into the human race, miraculously by the seed of God, into the womb of a virgin by the name of Mary, comes God in flesh to die for the sins of the world. And both Matthew and Luke want us to know that Savior Jesus, God's intended plan of redemption for all mankind, it's a fulfillment of more than 300 prophecies of the Old Testament. Jesus comes into the world to die for descendants of Adam. That would be all of us, you and me. Oh, and Jump in and you'll find the Your connection Run towards
0: your new life. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the Gospel of Luke together. Did you know you could download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website cornerstoneconnection.cc While you're there, you can also learn about the church behind this ministry. We'd love to meet you at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're meeting weekly in person and online, so please join us for worship and Bible study. You can find all the information you need to connect and get service times at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc We pray you've been blessed by this teaching today on the life of Jesus. Know that we're praying for you, too. Is there anything specific we could lift up to the Lord? Let us know by emailing prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today. But join us next time to continue studying Luke right here on Cornerstone Connection.
1: You know